All right, guys, and welcome to another episode of the 2A Lifestyle Podcast. I want to greatly appreciate y'all for listening in. We have a pretty great podcast. I really do say so. Uh, we have a great interview with Ash Hess of Quantified Performance, LLC. They do an awesome match uh, presentation. They do set up matches for Gas Piston PRS. Uh, this is a great interview. This is the uh, match that I told y'all about about a month ago that I went to. It was a great match. I brought him on the show to tell us a little bit about, about Quantified Performance performance, uh, kind of his background, what they do, all that kind of great shit. Uh, but let's go ahead and start getting the house rules in order. At first, I want to greatly appreciate y'all for listening, but go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast. If you can, go ahead and leave us a review. Anytime you leave us a review, that's the best way for people to find this podcast if they're looking for 2A uh, or gun firearms related podcasts. Also, we have a Facebook and an Instagram page. On Facebook, we are under the number 2A lifestyle, and on Instagram, we are 2 spelled out T-W-O a lifestyle so to a lifestyle for both one is just the number one spelled out also we have a patreon uh, if you feel like this is a good show and you want to help build the show and make it uh, a better show we're going to be doing some videos we're gonna start doing a video cast uh, video uh, podcast we're also gonna be making some YouTube videos for views and also just some funny shit because I like to have fun with this stuff if you haven't already looked at our social Instagram social media Instagram Facebook whatever the fuck it is I like to have fun with this shit so uh, uh, go ahead and check out our our Patreon. It's under 2A Lifestyle Podcast. Feel free to give whatever you guys think you would like to fucking give. You can give a dollar, you can give $20, whatever the fuck you want to give. Uh, but basically anything that is given on Patreon is put straight back into this podcast. Uh, we are over the mark to where we pay for the publishing of the podcast. So anything that is given to us now is going straight into making this a better podcast. Like I said, we're going to be buying some cameras so that way we can have a video uh, video podcast. Also, we're going to be making some videos. Also, it's going to help us to buy some gear that we're going to do for the uh, fucking reviews and the gear chat and all that kind of stuff. Also, if you are a person in the industry and you feel like you want to uh, help out the podcast, become a sponsor, reach out to us on social media. Uh, you know, I would like to start getting some sponsors in here. I'd like to start not even necessarily getting sponsors. Sponsors would be fucking great. But we, I just want to also start get, reaching out to the industry and having uh, people on, like for example, in this episode, we have Ash has a quantified performance and also maybe getting some gear. If you'd like to have some gear out and tested, uh, cold war concealment, send us some holsters. Uh, that was uh, last podcast. I talked about a holster that they sent uh, good, uh, good holster, Kydex holster for the Smith and Wesson shield that I have. Uh, so it was, you know, good shit. So if any, and also if you have a, if you're a listener and you're not in the industry and if you have any uh, fucking companies that you would like to hear on the podcast, reach out to us on social media uh, and so that way we can start reaching out to them and we can start seeing about bringing them on into the show and we can just you know fucking interview them and just give you uh, the history of their stuff maybe stuff that's coming out all that kind of good shit so without further ado let's go ahead and start getting into this interview with Ash Hess of Quantified Performance and start getting into the main segment of the podcast His name is Ash Hess with Quantified Performance, LLC. Uh, Ash, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about Quantified Performance. 
Uh, so, as you said, I'm Ash Huss. I did uh, 22 years in the Army. The last five years of it was pretty cool. was uh, doing either marksmanship instruction or writing marksmanship books. I got to shoot with um, a lot of people. Uh, got to shoot with AMU. Went to the Master Marksmanship Trainer course. I uh, got to shoot with the uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. And what I got to do with a lot of that was put it into the Army manuals. Um, once I left the Army, I uh, started at Knight's Armament. Um, was the government sales guy there. Uh, during that, um, I started shooting the uh, PRS gas gun series um, just to... Basically, what I wanted to be when I left the Army, I wasn't... When I was in the Army, I was the marksmanship guru. I was kind of the guy that was doing everything with marksmanship. And uh, once I left the Army, I wasn't that dude anymore. So I was just looking for something to try and remain relevant. Uh, I wasn't going to be teaching any classes for a while. Uh, so I started shooting the gas gun stuff. Um, the first year that, or the only year that I shot, I ended up fifth in the, uh, in the, in the tactical series for gas gun. Um, and then... PRS kind of killed that, and so we started uh, Quantify Performance, and we're doing kind of matches like that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's in its, its first year, uh, really it's in its first six months, um, but we didn't get started till June. But it, it's getting, getting where we want it to go. Um, done a lot of shooting uh, probably since 20, or 2012. Been firing about ten to fifteen thousand rounds a year on the average. Some years have been a little bit heavier than that. Um, right on. Yeah, it's it's been been a lot of shooting, and then been around a lot of people shooting. The uh, when I was running the marksmanship stuff for Tenth Mountain Division, we fired two million rounds in a two and a half year period and trained about two thousand dudes. Nice. So it was, it's, it's, it's been around shooting a lot, um, seeing a lot of things. Um, a lot of things have been kind of proven a little bit hokey. Um, and then some other things I feel people don't put the right priority on them. Because um, once, once we start working on it and they change what they're putting in priority, then they start shooting better. But they still don't claim that for being a priority. It's kind of weird. I know exactly what you mean about PRS, because uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of like the same thing with PCC and USPSA. It's just kind of taking a lot of the fun out of the shooting. Uh, you know, I'm, I love shooting, but I'm mainly a pistol guy. And uh, since PCC has came into the USPSA world, it's just like, all right, yeah, fucking cool. You can, you know, shoot that type of group, but I mean, of course you can with like a 16 inch barrel and a red dot. You know, right. it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, so you're uh, you're in for the full 20. You did made a career out of it, huh? I did. I did. I, I didn't think that was going to happen when I first went in. And then uh, about the time when I started doing all the shooting stuff, I was ready to uh, ready to throw in a towel. And But the uh, I made, made a lot of progress, made a lot of friends. And so I just kind of stuck around long enough to get everything in place. Uh, the new qualification the Army's getting ready to start was uh, kind of a brainchild of our little group. Uh, we didn't. We didn't finish it out. Most of us. Most of us had went on to other things by the time it got published and all that. But the uh, yeah, we, we started all that sort of stuff. So it was just kind of sticking around and getting that. You know, when when you can change the qualification for the entire United States Army, if you if you hang out another six months or so, you know, you, you kind of you're like uh, I can do that. You know, and that's that's just kind of why I ended up being there for twenty two. That's cool. You know, you said you're with like uh, shooting with a 75th and stuff. You actually got a Ranger tab or whatnot, or were you just a marksmanship guy with them? No, I was just 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 got lucky enough to shoot with those guys a lot and uh, and bounce a lot of ideas off of them. 
Um, and, you know, just, just get, got to shoot with some really cool dudes that done a lot, a lot of cool things, but, and I, I know did my own cool things, did my own deployments and all that, but, you know, getting to, getting to shoot with those top level guys is, uh, was, it was really an honor. Yeah. When I was uh, doing some training at Fort Benning, it was really cool to see a lot of the Ranger regiments, you know, do some training and, and whatnot out there. Uh, it was pretty cool. So you were 11 Bravo? I was in 19 Delta actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cap scout. Yeah. Yeah, I was a scout, and then, uh, so I went to 10th Mountain, had a course, it was called the, um, what do they call it, the Mountain, uh, see here, Leader Advanced Rifle Marksmanship course, and okay. when, when I went to that, that was way back in 2005, when I went to that, they, they showed us that there was a whole lot better shooting that could be done for the Army, but they showed us in such a watered down diluted weird kind of way that it it wasn't a product that you could take back to the unit i mean it was really cool when you got to when you were you know locked in there for 21 days straight and you were shooting every day and you could do their little things that they wanted to do the way they wanted to do it but it wasn't something you could take back um yeah. and so i ended up running that course later uh, and i was got that in 2012 so you know, that was seven years later, I ended up running that course, and we got the got the benefit of being able to do a rewrite on it and make it to where it was an exportable product. Um, so we, after we were, we were doing it, we started having guys coming to the class that already knew everything we taught because they their, their squad leaders have been through and their your team leaders. And then so they show up at the course knowing everything that you're going to say, which, which means that entire units were shooting our way. <clears throat> So that, that was just, you know, we just had that effect. It was able to spread around an entire division of soldiers um, that they, they were kind of shooting our techniques rather than, you know, having nobody nobody knowing the techniques. And that's kind of the way it was before. So you kind of enveloped a, a train-the-trainer kind of deal? So you could yeah, take it back yeah. to the large army at whole. Right. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, and that was what we were trying to do. Um, obviously, some people failed um, just because some people just can't shoot. Um, not, 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 that means that they're a bad person or anything like that, but there's people that just can't, uh, can't put it all together. So some people failed. Um, but most everybody took everything back to the unit and, uh, that gave them some credibility of being able to pass a class and, and be able to, uh, to have a product that they could breathe from and start teaching soldiers with. Yeah, I've ran uh, ranges in the Army and, uh, you know, never really got into any instruction. But, like, I do a lot of instruction on the law enforcement and civilian side here locally. And it's it's definitely, and I imagine taking, you know, classes that I've taken in the Army, uh, you know, you have to, it's, you know, drinking from a, a fire hose a lot of times. Uh, and you got to really, when you're instructing people, find the thing that makes it click for them. Uh, because every person learns different, and especially like on the law enforcement side, uh, you know, you I've taken several classes on instructing adults, uh, which is a whole lot different than instructing like kids in high school or even instructing kids in college, because uh, you're dealing with a lot of alpha males, and a lot of them are going to say, "Well, I already already know what the fuck this." guys are talking about i've been you know shooting my whole life or been doing this my whole life or you know what you know i learned this from you know joe schmo who was an expert about it back where the hell i'm from uh so you really have to you know find that one thing that makes it click for them otherwise you're basically just you know pissing in the wind unfortunately yep yeah and, and that's that was the thing and, and we brought in we had a uh, 
some sports psychologists that were they were assigned to the division, and nobody was using them. They were just kind of up there, and they were they were giving like classes on suicide prevention, but they're like full on, you know, sports psychologists. And so we brought them in. We started getting them getting them into the fold. Uh, so that helped us solidify a lot of techniques and a lot of a lot of how to say things that actually ended up getting into the book. Um, the, uh, the those guys, all the guys that I've talked to, if I if I put the put the army book the the twenty two nine in front of a sports psychologist, once they get into it, they're like, finally, we have a there's an army book that that makes sense because we, we and we didn't know that before. We just you know. How do you learn? You learn from your NCOs, and your NCOs beat you until you get it right. Not literally, but figuratively. Sometimes. Um, sometimes. They, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's just they, they do whatever it is, they, however their leadership style is, on, on to get you to do it, whether it's, you know, talking nice or berating you or whatever whatever it does. And, but that really doesn't translate into real-world teaching. Mm. Um, one of the big things that, that there's been articles on it before that, People talk about how army instructors or army army NCOs, when they come out and want to be a firearms instructor, they suck. Uh, and it's it's not that they suck; it's just they don't know how to teach people. Because when you have a private and you're you're on your staff sergeant or sergeant, and uh, the E one private shows up and you're like, "Hey, do this," and the kid's like, "I don't know if I want to do that or not." Then he does NCO things. It's not not wanting to teach the kid. You just punishes the kid until the kid learns yeah um, and, and you know and there's some classes that are like that that people actually pay money to get berated and treated like a treated like a bad private um and more power more, more power to those guys if that's what they want um but a lot of people aren't going to be taking that you know if a guy's paying you 600 bucks for a class it's your job to know how to teach him not not treat him like a turd um but and, and that's generally why they suck is they don't understand how to get that message across in, you know, in a, in a fashion that, you know, somebody paid them money to present information and they don't know how to present information, right? Because they never, never had to, never went to the army instructor courses or anything like that. And it's, they never had to do it correctly. They just had this bad hand in pocket shenanigan PowerPoint presentation that they're really, you know, when, when a guy executes like that, he does suck. Um, he might be the greatest shooter in the world, but if he can't translate that information over, he's not going to be a good instructor or trainer or, or teacher or whatever whatever word we're using this week um, to, to separate a, you know, a guy that's teaching, shooting, and doing it well. Um, and so those, those articles, I don't necessarily disagree with them. Um, it hurts because, you know, I was doing a lot of trying to build instructors and doing all that sort of stuff. And when you see that guy acting like a retard, you're like, yeah, well, that, that article was right. He sucks. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll get past that someday. Well, it's definitely uh, different in the civilian side. If you take a class, you know, you hopefully look up your instructor, see their qualifications, all that kind of stuff. But in the Army, you know, you just are told to go here or you want to go to this class. But, you know, it's not always guaranteed that you're going to have the good instructors that, you know, your NCO went to, uh, you know, five years ago when he took that class and took a lot out of it. Uh, you know, but it's very interesting that you mentioned how the Army is starting to use sports psychologists because I went, I went in straight as an officer. Uh, so I didn't get the glory of the enlisted side. Uh, but, you know, I was a police officer before I joined, so I knew what it was like to kind of be on the bottom rung of the ladder, so I didn't treat my guys like shit. But, 
you know, just talking to the NCOs that that were there either right after, like, you know, the invasion of Iraq or right, you know, in the Army before the global war on terror and just seeing how different things were, uh, you know, and how things have progressed because the Army is, you know, despite what a lot of people think and especially a lot of people in the Army will think, uh, you know, that it is trying to, uh, I guess, evolve with the world and they are bringing a lot more of, civilian uh, subject matter experts, whether it be, you know, sports psychologists, like you said, uh, you know, they just revamped the PT test, all that kind of stuff. You know, the Army does change, and I am glad to see that they are, you know, bringing some more of the uh, civilian expertise into it with the development of, uh, you know, firearms, ballistics, sports medicine, whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, and we used to lead all that, and that's one of the reasons that, that the Army never looked to the outside is because, you know, you look back at the 50s and 60s, we led all that. We, mm-hmm. we were, the, the, the guys that were coming out and teaching shooting had been in the military. Um, the guys that were learning, you know, sports psychology and the guys that were learning how to make better people and better coaches, you know, they all kind of had that military background. And then, you know, over, you know, the course of the, you know, the 70s and the 80s, it just kind of the army kind of stagnated. And when it did, then people were starting to figure stuff out on the outside. And now what you have is a lot of your SMEs are on the outside. Mm-hmm. And the Army, it took a long time for the Army to kind of be like, hey, you know, we, we, we're not really leading on this right now. Um, because they were, they're trying to do either it wasn't, they were, they'd snowball over the problem or they would, uh, they would try to recreate that guy's, you know, knowledge or you know what his findings were and all that sort of stuff and we just you know what do you call it call the guy that graduates from uh, the bottom of medical school you still call him doctor yeah um, and, and generally you call him you know a captain after that because he's got to pay for his for his student loan somehow so exactly. he joins, joins joins some sort of service to get his get his bills paid off because he kind of sucks but not saying all, all army doctors suck but they you know the shoe fits kind of wear it Absolutely. Uh, so kind of going a little bit before, have you always been into guns or is this something you got into in the military? I mean, t- tell me how you got into to firearms in general. Well, I mean, it just, I, I hadn't really thought about guns and it wasn't something that I was around. You know, I've been around guns, but it wasn't something that I was into until we went to Sauter City in 2003. Because um, it was always just something that we did, you know, and I was a scout, so we had big guns everywhere and shooting a rifle wasn't that big a thing. We went into Sauter City, and it came in time to actually shoot people, and everybody kind of had this realization that we, we didn't shoot as well as we thought we did, and the guns didn't do everything that we thought they did. Um, and then, so that was 2003, got out of there 2004, uh, went to that other course 2005. And the, with, with my shooting, if I am doing a lot of shooting or a lot of practice, I'm fairly good at it, but if I just kind of step away from it, I, I start to suck very rapidly. My, my skills deteriorate um, pretty quickly, um, and not saying that, I, that I, after if I haven't shot in six months that I suck, because I, I am retaining a lot of that, but I'm not, after you know six weeks, I can't do the things that I did before. Um, so what I did was I just, I just started shooting more, started shooting other things, started doing... Um, 2007, I think it was 2007, maybe 2008, I did Appleseed uh, for the first time, 
and cool. Appleseed was uh, there wasn't anything groundbreaking, right? I'd already shot people. I'd already done two deployments by the time I did Appleseed, so it, was, it wasn't anything that was like, oh my god, this is brand new, this is awesome. That, But it was, these guys took, and, and Appleseed does this every weekend across the country, and, and it's amazing. They will take whoever shows up on the line with whatever gun that they show up with. If they're anywhere from 13 to 85, they take whoever with whatever kind of sights, with whatever kind of gun, they put them on the line, and by the end of the day one, they have everybody grouping to a to a four minute standard. Um, if that guy's gun is running, guy girl is running enough to shoot a group, they're grouping at for for uh, MOA. Um, and by the end of Sunday, you've got people qualifying expert on their on their qual, and it's not anything that's like spectacular. But when you consider they're taking anybody, and it shows up. And they're taking anybody and they're getting them close to qualified expert uh, in less than 16 hours worth of training. You you have to look at that program and you have to admit that there are some things that, that are that are working very well with that program. Uh, so and, and that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, because we're just we're used to like two weeks, we talk about it, we do all these things, and we get all this stuff, and we kind of get the effect, but the guy's not there. And we have standardized guns, we have standardized ammo, we have standardized optics, we have standardized, you know, doctrine. We have dudes that have already done it before. Um, Appleseed, I've seen people that have never fired a gun before show up. So everybody that you have as an NCO or an officer at your unit has passed basic training. So they've seen the gun before, they've done it before. And we still can't get the same effect in twice the time as an Appleseed can get in a weekend. Now, I'm not saying that Appleseed is going to make you a tactical, Timmy, you know, super self-defense, you know, deployable shooter. But you're going to be shooting very well in the positions that they teach. You're going to be shooting very well with a good understanding of what's going on. Uh, and and that was a lesson that, that that we took into play, too, is we're just like, okay, we've got, the, got good guns. We've got good ammo. We've got good soldiers. Why can't we get our message across? Why, why is this taking so long to get not even the same effect that, that this guy who's never served in the military just got a ponytail and smokes dope Monday through Friday <laughs> can can teach this dude in, in eight hours better than I can teach the guy in eight days. Um, <clears throat> so that, that was that was some stuff that we actually looked at what we were saying and how we were saying and that, that was kind of what we based our changes off of, of what we were doing with the with the army stuff. That's cool. Uh, so let's get into quantified performance. So what made you want to, I mean, just to, I guess, fill in the gap of the gas piston precision rifle uh, competition out there? Because, I mean, you know, it, I was listening to another uh, gun podcast this weekend, and they were talking about how literally there is just shit tons of different stuff. There's, you know, USPSA, IODPA, IPSC, three gun. Uh, there's even two gun. There's PRS. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, clay shooting. There's a bunch of different uh, types of shooting competitions. Uh, so is quantified performance like filling in that gap? Because uh, when you and I talked at the uh, the uh, competition uh, last month at uh, the arena, you know, you know you're know, you kind of telling me a little bit about it. Uh, tell me a little bit about quantified performance, their goal. Uh, and you said, I, I, didn't, I didn't know this. You said it just started like just this past June or was that last June? That's when we, we made the actual company our first match. Um, was just called the weekend in the arena and that happened in springtime of this year. Um, okay. so we're, when, 
PRS got rid of the Gascon series. Um, there, there was a little gap there. Um, and then uh, Arena, Eddie from Arena was like, hey, man, you guys should run a match here. So we were talking about it. And we we're like, hey, if we we're going to run a match, what kind of match would we run? Who, you know, what would people want to show up? Um, so we decided to do a Gaskin match because Arena has beautiful facility. I mean, you got to see it. You know, hundreds of yards, twenty five hundred yards on one range, thousand yards on another range. You know, four or five other places you can shoot out to five hundred or eight hundred. So we want to get some distance on. Um, so we decided to do that match, and then from there we decided that there was enough interest that we do. A uh, little, little company, and and just kind of run these, you know, do our own rule set, and just kind of run these on our own. Um, but the the the, the I don't want to call it unique because it sounds salesy thingy. But one thing with quantified performance is Jack and I are both in the industry, um, so we've sent out all sorts of sponsor stuff to you know to companies. We sponsor the. Uh, the special operations uh, sniper competition thing last year, we've done a bunch of stuff. So we understand both from a shooter perspective and from a sponsor perspective. Because um, you, you kind of see two types of matches. And, and, and doing a pistol shooting may or may not be like this, but with the rifle matches, you see it. You see a match that's about the shooter, and that's where the sponsors get contacted to give away stuff. And really, they're kind of forgot about until the surprise table time. So people don't talk about them. They get a thank you for sponsoring, you know, type post. They get a, hey, this guy got your stuff type post. And then they get a, a thank you for sponsoring again after the match. And then nobody talks about them for, you know, the next six or eight months. And we understand that from a sponsor side. And then the you have a, a, a match that's more sponsor oriented where they're talking about the sponsor and the shooters kind of end up being uh, backdrop or, you know, being being part of the show to make the sponsors look good because and you see matches that are like that too where they're talking about the sponsor and they're talking about sponsor all the time and guy comes up to shoot it and he's just a you know a noisemaker to make the videos better for the sponsor yeah so what we wanted was we wanted a match that was good for the shooter and good for the sponsor uh, the first match we didn't even have sponsors but the, there wouldn't have been a prize table if it hadn't been for uh for Will from uh, ADM and um, Tom from Armageddon Gear, because Tom basically brought down a bunch of Armageddon Gear and put it on a table, not even like there wasn't even a prize table set up, um, but he put a bunch of Armageddon Gear on there, and then uh, Will Phoebus from from ADM, uh, American Defense Manufacturing, threw a bunch of stuff on the table too, and I think we maybe got a couple things from Jeremy Kong. Uh, it's been I've slept since then. Um, but so we didn't even plan for a prize table because we weren't messing with sponsors. We weren't trying to do all that for that first match. So the second match we did, we changed the format a little bit. So Saturday is a eight stage, eight or nine stage gas gun match that goes from 100 yards to a thousand or maybe 1200. Um, you know, fast stages and just getting it in there, burning it down from the shooter side. And then Saturday evening, we had a prize table. Sunday is open range day, but it's also sponsor day. So our gold level sponsors, and we've got eight for the for the upcoming match. Um, we'll be, we'll be sure to mention those before we get off here. Absolutely. Uh, we've got eight coming up for that. Um, what they have the opportunity to do is own the stage from the day before. So Saturday, we don't tear anything down. So Sunday morning, 
you get up and you can go shoot all the stages that either you you didn't do good on or you did really good on. You go back out to that stage. So now what the sponsor can do is the sponsor can basically do a demo. So if he wants to come out there and set up a gun or if he's got, you know, circuit stuff or he's got optics or whatever his thing is, they can set up the at that stage. So the guys rotate through the stage, the, the competitors from the day before, when they come out there and they want to shoot that stage again, they, they own it. Right, they they go out there and they shoot it, and then the the sponsor guy can be standing there, kind of hanging out. You're know, like, hey man, you want me to run the timer for you or whatever? And oh, I see you're you know running an X scope. That's 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 my brand. Can I do a video of you while you're shooting and put it up on our page? Um, so then they get that interaction with the shooters. Uh, the shooters are obviously going, hey man, I, I I wanted to pick up your thing off the prize table, but somebody got it beforehand. You know, let me buy one. So then they you know they can they can buy stuff, they can demo stuff, um, and you know, I work a nice armament. We make a pretty good gun, um, but there's a lot of other people that are out there that are making pretty good guns too. But if you're just looking at them on the internet, you can't tell that that's a really cool gun. You can't tell what the value is in the, in that rifle, and it doesn't matter whose brand is. But if you got to go out to the range and you have your gun that you just competed with on Saturday, and then on Sunday you get to shoot one of these guys, you know, one of these other brands' guns, and you're like, okay, I see what the value is in this gun is now. And maybe you got a certificate from the day before at the prize table. Maybe you got a, a lower, upper and lower kit. You know, maybe he got something that – so it gives that sponsor a good time to interact with that guy. And then – you know, when the guy, when their prize, when he shows up out there, is like, hey, let me do an interview. And they go Instagram live. And they're just like, hey, I'm here with uh, Bill, and he won this thing. You know, whatever my gizmo is, and he wanted it to match yesterday, and now he's running it today on the same range. This is awesome. You know, hey, everybody say, you know, congrats to this dude. And, you know, you have the opportunity to get that that interaction because it, I, I got us, you know, doing social media. If he can get on the Vortex page, you know, the Vortex Instagram Live, who's got like 85,000 followers or something crazy. Um, if he can get some time up on, you know, one of those, that helps that guy out. He, and he picks a bunch of followers to it. And it also looks good for the company because the company's there with the, with the guy that won the product, that actually chose the product, that shot well enough to get there while that product was still there. And, and it just works for everybody. Um, yeah, giving the sponsors the most bang for their buck. Right. And, and, then, and then what we did this time was we actually had some space and um, T-Box Barrels and Sergeant of Arms actually filmed the commercial because the Vortex guys sponsored and they couldn't come down. They actually filmed the commercial for Vortex uh, on our range um, or at the match. So there's, and Vortex hasn't used it yet, but that, that's not the point. Um, the point was we, we showed Vortex, we were like, hey, and we actually filmed it at a high quality commercial for those guys just so they could get something of value, even if even if nobody ever sees that, if it's just the president going, hey, let's go ahead and keep sponsoring these guys, so they, they you know, because they did some work for us, um, and that that's kind of the thing that we're we're, we're allowing it to do too. Um, in addition to that, we built a members group. Now we're not trying to make money out this members group. It, it's 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 a dollar a month or twelve dollars a year, however you want to look at it. We're not going to get rich getting a dollar a month from from you know anybody unless we have like a million million members and then that that'd be all right um <laughs> but <laughs> that'd be good times right there yeah all um, right but what that what that members group is for is so we can um basically have 365 day content from the people that's involved in our group so not everybody's shooting every day um 
and most people shoot on the weekends. But, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the members page, people post up what they did for the weekend. Um, and then, you know, we, we have them, we tell them to, to post up what they used or what the, what the big thing was. So if I went and shot and I had my Steiner scope on the gun and I shot some good groups and I put up the thing and I'm like, hey, I was out shooting my Steiner on my night's gun and, you know, I shot some decent groups. So then what we do is from the member page, we take that post and we put it up on the LLC page. So... Now we're getting, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of the guys are shooting Vortex. Um, so basically I can end up getting from different people every week I can do a Vortex post. Or when I get guys that are, you know, picking up stuff from Armageddon gear, then they talk about shooting Armageddon gear, then every week of the year I get some sort of new content for Armageddon gear, sometimes both. Sometimes they're shooting their Vortex-equipped gun off of Armageddon gear. So now I get to talk about my sponsors year-round, but it is coming from not just me, it's coming from members of the group. And that, that also helps the sponsors because they get to see, they, they come in there and they get to see that guy that, you know, won some of their product and they get to see him still talking about it and how he still loves that thing. And, it, you know, it shows that value for him. And it's, and it's not just twice a year while we're running the match. It's that, that 365-day content. Yeah, and, and that helps sponsors because you know not everybody is going to use a product the exact same way. So if they see a video of somebody using their product a different way, then they might say, "Well, hey, when we're coming out with the the next gen of whatever it be, scope, you know, resting bag, whatever it is, they can say well, this might be a good improvement uh, for for whatever their product." So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see your, I guess, model is for the shooters and for the sponsors because like like you said most you know matches i've gone to for like uspsa and gssf stuff like that you know it's all one day it's for the shooters and the sponsors you know get their stuff uh you know blasted on you know pistol bays or whatever you know the the, the, the match setups that they have uh, but, you know, they don't really get a whole lot. But it's better, you know, because GSF, GSSF and, and USPSA, you know, they're obviously already, you know, well-established. And if you're a company, you want to be in that. So, And if Quantified Performance just started, you know, just just this year, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure you give those sponsors the best bang for their buck. Um, so we went to this, you know, you put on this match last month. I went to it and took, you know, took a bunch of pictures for you. Um, what is it? like what does it take to set up a match of that size because the arena that was the first time i've been there and it is an amazing facility uh, it was awesome uh and actually iv8888 uh had their you know range day there i want to say two or three weeks ago and uh chad from you know iv8888 was there and uh you know he really seemed to enjoy the match and he seemed to enjoy the uh the the actual space that you know the the arena itself uh what does it take to set up one of those matches so the i mean this is this is crazy um but we uh what we try to do is immediately right before the other match so the one that we the one that we just had so before that we were locking and trying to lock in the date for the next one um so it starts all the way you know so it started you know we'll call it two months ago is when we started looking at the venue for the next match. Um, so then you find a venue. Uh, right now we're doing an arena. We had a couple other venues that we're trying to work through. Uh, one of them fell through and fell through pretty, I don't want to say it fell through hard, um, 
but it was it was disappointing when that one went away. Um, the arena is great, but we wanted to you know kind of bring the bring the circus to a couple other towns, you know. Um, yeah. So basically, six months before the match starts, you get the venue locked on, um, and you work through pricing and you work through all those sort of things, and then and then getting you know how you're going to collect the money. And all those sort of stuff. So that that takes takes a bunch of time. Well, actually, this time it didn't take any time. As soon as we, uh, as soon as I set up the practice score to be able to take the money and we release the, the match date, uh, we sold forty. We have eighty slots available. Um, well, we we planned eighty slots. Um, we sold forty slots in about four hours the first day. Uh, within the first week, we had sold all eighty slots. Um, so we decided to, and, and some of the people that we really needed to shoot sponsors, um, all that sort of stuff, um, cause the sponsors get like two slots. So we had no slots for sponsors. Um, so we bumped that up, made sure we had, you know, our sponsor slots in there. We bumped it up to 96. Um, and those sold out about, that was in the first week and we bumped it up we, actually pushed the button on at about 1 30 in the afternoon and by four o'clock we had sold the rest of the seats um and that was for a match in february and this was you know the first week in november um so that, that was pretty cool people are pretty excited for it um but the next thing that happens after that is you have to start coming up with uh get it you know we've been to arena enough we really don't have to go up there to do the range recon but if it was some other place you have to go up to the range you know see what you have for places to do stages start dreaming up stages, you know, some stand drive stages, some other things. You dream up all the stages, come up with targets that you need, um, come up with the times, um, get the range to help you set up the targets, a bunch of things. Um, but the thing that we've been spending all the money on, and this is going back into it, I've got uh, $3,000 worth of Vortex stuff coming in the mail. We bought, you know, 10-shot timers, about 10 tablets, Um we got, you know, spotting scopes, getting binos from people, getting, you know, notebooks and pens and all this other administrative type stuff. So the RO, <clears throat> tripods, we got tripods for all the spotting scopes that we got coming from, from uh, Vortex. Um, so there's all this sort of stuff that you just have to run a match. And then when you add sponsors on top of it, you start talking to sponsors, you know, six months out. Um and then a lot, a lot of your sponsors have come back, um, but and, you know there's talks with that, and you're just like, "Hey, man, did you get value from the last match?" You, know, you start talking to them, you start passing emails back and forth, you get their levels that they want to shoot at, um, seeing if they're putting people in a match. Then you start doing social media content to kind of show off your sponsors, and you then you got to focus on the on the big sponsors versus the smaller sponsors, and make everybody feel like they got their value for it, um, and then. The Wednesday before the match, we end up going to Georgia, and we spend, you know, a day setting up targets, and then we shoot all the targets, we make sure they're all they're all going to be achievable for hits, and then we check it for time. Uh, and then, that, that finally, when the match starts, you kind of, that's kind of your first break, um, because when everybody goes off and they start shooting their stages, nothing's gone wrong yet. So that 8, eight o'clock to 8.30... Yeah, you know, as the match is running, that's kind of where you get to sit back with the coffee and be like, huh, we're here. But then, th then things start happening. So they had to go through the entire entire match. And then, you know, at the end of Sunday, because you've been talking to sponsors, you've been talking to all these dudes, um, talking to all the shooters. And then at the end of Sunday, then people are like, hey, when are we shooting the next one? So now you're right back into the same 
you know, you, you lock in that Sunday, you lock in, they're going to have everything that you're going to do for that next venue. And then you're right back into the cycle. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and not only that, you got the uh, unexpected uh, hiccups during the match. Like, I know uh, the match this past month, uh, you know, you had some issues with the timers not picking up suppressed shots. Uh, right. So, I mean, you ha you know, have things going on. Uh, like, what kind of growing pains, I guess, like, you know, obviously trying to find timers that can pick up suppressed, you know, shots and stuff like that. What kind of growing pains as your growing quantified performance have you have you noticed? Uh, just, just the just the little things. We we shot a lot of matches before, so we kind of have some stage ideas. But you know, one of the things that we we ran into those suppressed shots, um, not picking up, and then we had an extra shot timer there, but that shot timer would only go to ninety nine seconds. So the, we were in a spot where we with that shot timer, a lot of our stages would only go we were at one hundred and twenty seconds. So that extra shot timer couldn't take up, and you know, we had just handed that to those guys and been like, "Hey, when you're shooting, use this one." Um, that that would have helped out a lot. Um, we did have a stage that we could have swapped out shot timers on it, but we didn't hear about it um, as the match directors. Nobody said anything about it until they shot about four stages. So it wasn't something. If they would have been like, you know, the first stages have been like, "Hey, the shot timer is not picking it up," we could have made something happen. Um, but we didn't hear about it for four or five stages and we we're just like, well, um, sorry, you know, because there was, there was nothing, we couldn't have them go reshoot four stages. Um, so there was really nothing we could do to, to fix it. We get, we got through it. They, they understood they were AMU guys. Um, so they understood what to do with the shot timer to get it to go, to get, to get the time that mattered. Um, but that was just a weird thing that we had to work through, um, some of the other things is people not understanding what we're trying to do. Um, and then there's other people that don't, I don't want to say they don't support the mission, um, but they, they expect everything to be very cheap and they expect everything to be free and they expect everything to be about the shooters. So when we're like, you know, hey, we're going to be charging this much for this match, they're just like, why? Why are we charging that much for a one-day match? Like, well... All these things cost money. And they're like, wow. Why are you trying to make money off this? And we're just like, yeah. And it's just, you know, so you get, get some stuff like that. Um, the big thing we have right now is the, the bolt gun guys have decided that they can come to the match and rot dominate the match with a bolt gun. Now, <clears throat> there, there's two parts of that. They're probably right. Um, part one is the stage is not designed particularly for the gas guns in mind. Um, we haven't put any stages up that are really gas gun type stages. They're all fairly achievable with whatever. Um, and then most of the competitors are moving pretty slow. So if you got a really fast bolt gun guy in there with a really accurate gun, he would probably do fairly well with the bolt gun. Um, so that, that's, a, that, that's a thing that we have to address to make it, make it a gas gun match. Um, and then we, we got to bring it, bring our guys up, you know, along with that, because we have guys who only shot their second match. You know, most of the guys that were there, maybe about, maybe about 30 dudes had shot a match before out of, out of the, out of the guys that were there. Um, so we have, uh, I don't, I don't want to say mediocre. That, that's, that's, that's not fair. We have really good shooters that don't quite understand the game yet. 
And novice um, at the competition part of it. Right. And the novice is a competition part, right? So they're, they're moving slower than they should be because they don't understand the game. So if I brought in a guy that understands the game and put him on there and he would come in there and he would do very, very well um, against those guys just because they don't understand the game yet. Um, so what we're doing, we're doing a couple things with our stage plan. Um, it's going to be very, very, very gas gun oriented uh, stage plans. The, they're going to be much faster. There's going to be one stage that as I'm shooting it in my brain, as I'm visualizing it, the stage is taking about 18 seconds. Um, so that's going to be a very fast stage and it's going to be, you know, 10 to 12 rounds. So a, a bolt gun guy that can get, you know, 10 to 12 rounds down range in 18 seconds, he's going to be really good. Um, or you could have gas gun and not have to be as good. Um, and then the other thing that we're doing is Friday, we've got a very well-known guy coming in. He's doing a class on Friday as oh, kind nice. of an inter introductory into gas gun type shooting. Um, and then Sunday, first thing in the morning on Sunday is another guy coming in. I might've heard of him. His name is Brian Morgan. Um, he was a 2014 PRS champion, uh, ran core solutions is basically one of the, one of the top, um, instructors for like wind and shooting and long distance shooting around. He's actually doing a two hour block of instruction Sunday morning. So we've got a block of instruction going in on Friday, uh, how to do this and how to play this game. Then you have your match. And then on Sunday, you're going to have a little bit more improvement on, you know, basically what guys saw during the match and, and being able to address that on Sunday with the point of when they come back the next match, they're going to be better. They're going to be practice all those things. Um, so we're just kind of trying to, trying to build it up, take it along. Um, and then the other thing that we want to have start doing is we want to have guys run in under our rules um, and obviously giving us a little shout out or maybe helping us find some more members. So we're going to work that out, but we want to have some guys run a one-day match at their local range using our rules to get more practice in because if, if a guy's only shooting twice a year, he's not going to be good. Um, but if he's shooting a match every, you know, three times a year, four times a year, maybe five times a year, and two of them are our big matches, he's going to be much better off at those at those big matches than if he hasn't shot at all. Uh, so we want guys to just run the local one day, you know, use our rules, Give us a tag. Help us find a member. You know, go out, shoot a gas gun style match at your local range, and then show up to the arena or wherever we run these things at, and 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 dominate and get on the prize table. Um, that's awesome. I, I remember so, you were talking about that, and that, that's I mean that's a hell of a, a value. And I mean I know you were talking when you were talking to how people want to be more about the shooter, but this past match, I mean, like you had people that were like down there, like mid to to lower middle you know rankings and they were still picking up stuff that was worth you know two three hundred dollars on on the prize table so i mean you're not you're definitely getting your money's worth and then on top of that if this you know match that you're doing in february you you know you're having a block of instruction friday and a block of instruction sunday i mean that's how much you know a class costs you know maybe even more so you're not only getting the instruction but you're also getting the match you're getting your experience you're having some fun throwing some lead down range but you're also winning some stuff in the price table and you're getting that instruction that's a hell of a value yeah yeah for 175 bucks you're uh, you know and the last the average for the price table um we're taking the, the high-end stuff off 
um, it was about 125 bucks. If you threw in like the, some of the higher end items, because there was the uh, Centurion upper and lower set, that's pretty high dollar. Uh, the Vortex stuff. You threw that all in there, and you know the price tag was probably worth 135 dollars a person. They paid 150 bucks to get in. So just in price table, um, and then when then when you add in some some free little blocks of instruction on it, you know from major dudes. If you know if it was like Joe Bob trying to tell you about wind that, that had no value, but you know when you can when you can you know Google the guy that gives the class and you can see that he's like a a, a very well regarded instructor and he's just giving you that away for free. Um, <clears throat> you know that, that that's just really cool, and that that's how we wanna we wanna make the make the match. Um, have value for everyone. Uh, and, and our little motto is um, connecting uh, companies of prominence with customers of value. Um, so so the, the customer, the shooter, the competitor, the sponsor, you know, everybody's time is valuable. You know, everybody's effort, everybody's, you know, guns, all that sort of stuff. There's, there's value to all that. So we're trying to provide the most value that we can for the weekend and have a good time and you know basically get people out there using their rifles um shooting better getting to see that they they don't really shoot as good as they need to uh going to some of these other instructors getting their gun out there doing work um and just you know the, the, i mean a long-term thing right, because this is a second amendment show long-term thing is if i can get a bunch of members and we're shooting a bunch of rounds in control conditions all year. And, you know, just think about a million rounds. And if you have a lot of members, a million rounds really isn't a lot. Um, but basically, think if we could sit in front of Congressman Schmuckatelli and we could be like, under our, our banner, we fired a million rounds this year with, with our members. Fired a million rounds that had, you know, impacts here here and here no safety issues none of these things you know this many competitors you know 2,000 competitors fired a million rounds out to these ranges under these conditions with these guns and nobody was hurt and none of those people committed a crime that says a lot right there that and and that kind of changes the argument we're just like oh i've got this thing in the safe i'm running around going to going to you know, going to rallies with an AR on my back and be like, that's cool, man. We're actually out here using our guns. We're actually doing these things. Here's these videos. Here's the sort of stuff. This is what a sport use of this rifle is. Um, and with all the social media content, all that sort of stuff, it makes for a really hard argument that these guns and the people that are using these guns are all mental and doing all those sort of things. So in, you know, ultimate long run thing, not only are we having fun, not only providing value, not only are we doing some good shooting, but we're also, you know, kind of putting up a banner, along with all the other competitive sports, putting up a banner of this is normal dudes with their firearms doing things safely and not meeting your stereotype of a gun owner. Um, so that, that, that in itself has value. And that, that's one of the reasons that we're doing it. Long-term goal, because I don't have enough members right now to, to even get a, uh, you know, even get on a radar of anything, but it, it'd be great if we had that 50, 60,000, you know, you know, members, you know, or people talking about it that we could go to that, go to that Congressman Schmuckatelli and be like, Hey, look, you're wrong. Here's the data. And that, that'd just be, be cool to do. Absolutely. And just like you were talking about with the local matches, you know, if you start, 
you know, kind of grassroots type style, and you have these guys going back to wherever they came from. Because I saw I saw a lot of out of state plates there. Uh, where was the furthest person that came from uh, for the match that we were out there uh, um, last month? We had somebody drive down from New York, and then we had people from Las Vegas. And this one we were gonna have an Alaska guy at, but we don't know if he's gonna get down or not. Um, but we we had people all the way from Nevada and New York that that came to the match. So if you have those people go back to wherever they're from and they start having local matches uh, where they're at, you know, it, it just you build that group of people that have the respect and say, you know, hey, this is something I can do. And then they want to take their friend, uh, you know, take people that they go to work with, you know, to the range and they can show them, hey, this is what you could be capable of. This is a, you know, this isn't a quote unquote assault rifle. This is literally a modern sporting rifle because this is a sport. This is a sport we love. This is a freedom we love. Uh, you know, yeah, this can be used for that, but, you know, we use it, you know, not to, you know, commit mass killings like the media says. This is for us to enjoy our weekends. You know, you may go to fucking LARPing, you know, at the city park, but we're going to come out here to the range and we're going to have fun putting lead down range and showing off our, you know, capabilities in the most freedom-tastic way we can. Yep. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's you know, a venue and the ability... F- for us to have that again long term because um, it would be great to have 50 60,000 members um, but the, the, the big effect the, the, the first uh, milestone that we had was being able to fill a match with organically with only internal you know with a couple posts um, so literally we posted up the um, link to sign up for the match and we posted that up in two places and then we talked about it one other time and we filled the match so you know that, that's the first part of, of the membership thing and then the membership thing getting that you know getting that 365 day of your content so the sponsors stick around um, the thing that killed the gas gun for the PRS was there was a lack of participation on the shooter part um, because they were only major matches, they were only major two-day, twenty-stage matches. Two hundred fifty bucks, uh, two hundred rounds, two hundred, two hundred fifty rounds, um, and that's all they were doing. So people didn't see the value in that. Sponsors didn't see the value, so they weren't putting stuff on the table, which dropped participation down more because they're paying all this money for this match and they're not getting anything out the prize table. Um, so it was kind of a participation sponsorship, sponsorship participation, you know, kind of chicken or egg that made it made the whole thing not have value for Precision Rifle Series to run the gas gun. Um, I'm seeing rumors about maybe they're going to bring gas gun back for 2020. Um, I don't think that's a concern for us um, just because we're not trying to play in their space. We're not trying to compete with PRS. We're not trying to com- compete with anybody. We're putting out matches that fit our you know, basically we're building our own genre of what the match is going to be. And if people want to keep shooting our match, then that's cool. Um, if people don't want to shoot our match, then, then it was a good experiment that did ultimately failed or whatever happens over the next couple of years. Um, but we're not, we're not concerned with that. We have, uh, the sponsors are all showing up right now. We got, we've got participation. We've got sponsor participation. Um, we've got a lot of those things happening. Um, and the way that we're, we're doing it for Sunday, we're providing that value early for the sponsor. Um, 
and so hopefully we keep sponsors around and hopefully we keep keep people coming um it's just a balance of getting those stages hard enough to where they they feel competitive but not too hard to where they they don't feel achievable um but pretty much the uh the show everybody was happy with the show that i talked to you i mean you ran around you got talked to him you took you know a thousand pictures um you probably had some good conversations so you you probably had a little bit better feel what it felt on the ground level than we did but as far as we're tracking everybody had a good time and uh it sounds like everybody's coming back. Yeah, and just you know, uh, just talking about the match and, and kind of wrapping up the interview on, about your company quantified performance. Uh, you know, it's something that you said there's you know some AMU guys, and if anybody is thinking about doing your match, which they'll have to wait until further next year, because I mean that's amazing, Ash, that you already sold out of almost a hundred slots uh, within what like two two three months since the date's been open. Uh, it was a, it was actually a week. By the time that we announced the date, it was actually a week we sold out. That's amazing. And, you know, I don't want, you know, people to think that, uh, you know, if you're just, you know, average Joe Schmo, that, you know, all he has is a PSA build uh, or something like that, that you can't do this match. Uh, you know, of course, you might not hit the thousand yard mark. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of people there, you know, a lot of your stages were set up for those guys that had, uh, you know, regular M4 type uh, gas guns. Uh, some of them were obviously built, you know, like the thousand yard markers, uh, you know, the, the targets out of a thousand yard at those stages, you know, those are obviously for some of the guys. And I did see some guys, uh, I think, uh, I think, I, I think maybe pictures i think maybe one guy shot it using just like a standard like 16 maybe had an 18 inch barrel uh right. you know he didn't have some souped up gun you know it wasn't a regular you know m4 but you know it was it was close enough it wasn't like some of the others uh that i saw the guys because there was uh some also some some school shooting uh teams there at least one that i know of uh some guys that shot uh, like you know in scholastic shooting teams uh, you know, had some real souped up rifles. You know, the, the average guy can come out to your match and they could do, per, you know, do really well. And then not only that, uh, from now on, like, you know, this match that you're having in February, you're having the instruction, which is a great idea. It's a great bang for your buck for 175 bucks. And then not only that, like I was saying, with the prize tables, some of the guys that, you know, that told me about your match, and this is how I kind of, you know, got up with you, uh, you know, our mutual friends over at, uh, that run the page at Dirt List, um, they, uh, you know, placed, you know, like I said, in the middle to lower middle uh, section in, in some of the, the the competition rankings and whatnot. Uh, you know, one of them picked up a Law Tactical, you know, which is like a two $250 value. And the other one picked up the Mantis X, uh, which is, uh, you know, I got the original Mantis X, not, and not the new one that y'all had. And that's like a $200 value. Uh, so, I mean, you can get some great stuff from the match and uh it was a really great match everybody i talked to really enjoyed it uh you know including from some of the normal guys that you know don't really go around shooting a lot of rifle matches to the guys that uh were some of your sponsors that they do go to a lot of matches uh or the regular guys that you know do just a lot of match shooting that they go to different matches and, and you know, there are some sponsored shooters out there you know, everybody had a great time. It was it was a great match. I really enjoyed it. Uh, that's only I think that, that was the first match I've been to where like targets were past you know 300 meters. Um, you know, normally everything I go to is a little bit more around 50 to 150 meters. And then, like I said, normally what I mainly do is pistol. Uh, so that was kind of like my first 
introduction to kind of like long range PRS, uh, PRS period, you know, whether it be gas piston or bolt gun, uh, it was kind of my first, you know, in person interaction with it. And it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. And just the fact that you're already able to sell it out, uh, you know, it tells a lot about, you know, the match that you put up and, you know, your com company quantified performance. So when is the next match uh, that people, if they want to keep up with it, so that way they can at least know when they can start looking for the next registration, since this one's already filled? Uh, next one is going to be the 19th of September. Um, dates already locked in. Uh, that's the weekend before the PRS Expo or the PR, the Precision Rifle Expo at, at Arena again. So we're going to be at Arena for two weeks straight, well, basically two weekends straight. Um, so a couple, couple pages on the Facebook, there's a Quantify Performance LLC, um, and then there's a Quantify Performance Members Group, which is obviously, you know, pay to get in. Um, and then we have another page that's kind of for everybody, and it's called Matches by Quantify Performance, or Matches Presented by Quantify Performance. And that's kind of where we do some posts. You know, talk about the matches to non-members. You know, the members get to hear about everything first, and then we jump it into, into that page. Um, so that, that's a couple places, and then the typical, you know, Instagram and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but the the date is the, the, the 19th of September, um, and then that's going to be up on practice score. Um, and it, that'll probably be, it'll probably go up on practice score around, you know, middle of February, um, to, to start doing the, doing the same thing, getting everything locked in there. So uh, they're, for right now, they're going to be called a weekend in the arena. Um, that's the, you know, that's just a good, good name for the match. It just kind of covers everything. And, um, that's a, that's, that's pretty much it on that. So this is actually past the February one that you already have set up. So you already got the date set up for, you know, in the fall of, of 2020. Yes, sir. That's awesome. That's great. Awesome. Uh, well, I'd be happy to go back and take some more pictures for you in February if you're if you're open. I don't know if you've got somebody else out there. No, I'm down. We'd, we'd love to have you back out. The uh, I didn't get any feedback because it was a, I didn't have. Well, we had a bunch of shows and everything going on, so I didn't really have time to go through the thousand or twelve hundred pictures or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I did. Uh, I did send all the sponsors a link to it. Um, I don't think anybody was really appreciative because they saw that it was a thousand pictures and they were just kind of like, okay, cool. But it did, it didn't meet the, the mark of we're going to provide you with pictures. Um, so we can get you to come back out and do that same thing again. We'll, we'll have a little bit more time to focus on it because there there's no shows coming up. So we can actually turn that into a good package. But like I say, there was, there's 1200 pictures. I think there's still eight hours of video that we haven't gone through from uh, Jordan. Um, so it, it just did. We, we rolled right into the prep for the next one and didn't even get to really close out the last one. I got you. And are there any sponsors that you want to go ahead and give a shout out to? Because, like you said, sponsors is, is kind of what makes the world go round in this. Uh, I know Sergeant at Arms and, and uh, T Box was there. Uh, I kind of interacted with them a good bit. Uh, great guys, you know, real personable. Um, is there any other sponsors out there that you want to? to mention that are going to be sponsors for the next coming matches that you want to go ahead and give a shout out to? So uh, Vortex is coming back. Uh, they're, they're coming back pretty pretty heavy. Uh, so it's good to have Vortex back. Uh, Sergeant Arms and T-Box are both coming back. Uh, as far as I know, Defender Ammo, um, who, was a, who was a sponsor too, is coming back. Um, a new sponsor, a couple of new sponsors for this one is uh, Lansing Tactical. 
Um, they're out of Georgia doing gas guns, doing really good gas guns. Yeah, cool, cool guys. Yeah. And then, uh, then another company called Blackout that's doing sear coating. It's actually in Florida, right down the road. I actually put him to work uh, pretty soon. They're they're doing sponsorship too. Uh, ADM is coming back. ADM has helped out in, in all matches uh, so far. So if you're looking for good uh, good ambi, you know lower type stuff, check out ADM. They got some good stuff. Got good mounts. Uh, we also picked up a smaller ammunition company called T1 Ammo. Um, they're they're out of Florida too. Um, so there's a couple of ammo guys on there. Centurion Arms came back. Uh, I'm sure Control is gonna gonna play too. Uh, Title Two Manufacturing's coming back. They put the knives on the table last time. Um, yeah. That everybody really enjoyed those those blades. Uh, and then another cool one that we got coming on is called Tacom HQ. Um, so Tacom, they, they've got some, they got some stuff going on. That one's going to be very. Um, there's they're probably going to be two guns available uh, from Tacom. Um, but Tacom headquarters, if you check out their Facebook page, they got some pretty good, uh, interesting things that work with uh, with your optics. That basically gives you a really fast switch to add in a bunch of MOA or mills into your scope. Um, so you can basically, without adjusting your zero on the scope, move it up to 20 mils. So you could actually do like your data for a thousand. You could flip this little switch and be right on at your data. Um, so Tacom's coming on. Um, that one's going to be cool. They're going to definitely be doing demos. That's the main reason they're coming down. Um, so that's the guys that are coming on. We got, got letters out to... You know, some, some other companies, we're hoping to pull them in, but it's, it's a lot of companies don't like to do sponsor stuff until a month out. Um, <clears throat> so that's what generally... And, uh, you know, basically just kind of reaffirm that, you know, some of these guys are coming back, which is awesome, that, that we really appreciate that they're, that, they're, that they're coming back. In fact, the uh, Centurion Arms, um, their stuff for the prize table is already at Arena. Um, so there's... There's a prize already at Arena for the match in February. Gathering dust at Arena. Uh, hopefully it sticks around. It doesn't grab, you know, grow legs and walk out. Right. <laughs> it's an FFL item, so it would be a little bit harder. Yeah, a little bit harder, but, you know, in my line of work, I know that criminals have a, a, a fucking good imagination. Right. So, yeah. well, Ash, I greatly appreciate you uh, giving us the interview. Uh, it was an amazing match. I hope anybody that's listening gets a chance to go down to the arena uh, and gets to, you know, at least, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you allowed any really spectators. You know, I didn't see any spectators there. Uh, but you know, if you get a chance to register for a match, uh, you know. Ash was telling you about what you can get for your $175. That's a hell of a deal. Uh, and like you can get some great stuff in the prize, uh, the prize table, and then also the instructions. So if you get a chance, go down to the arena. Uh, September, uh, what was it, September 19th, you said? Yes, sir. September 19th, go ahead and mark your calendars. That's plenty enough time to get your ass off and, you know, make fucking arrangements for work or, you know, your kids, your wife, ex-wife, your whatever, and go ahead and get down there. Now, Ash, uh, I'm going to go through some stories. If you want to stick around, you can. If not, I understand. And we've already been on uh, for about an hour, so. Yeah, I was just going to, there's there's also another way that people can get involved in the match. Uh, Absolutely, go ahead. Of, we have a bunch of uh, support personnel. Each stage has a spotter and a, basically a, you know, timer safety type guy. So I actually need 16 people. We, we did it last time with, with less, but we actually need 16 people to make the match run correctly. Um, 
So if you're in Georgia, Alabama, I don't, I don't want you coming all the way down from, you know, Alaska to, to RO the match. <laughs> um, but if, if you're close enough to be able to drive down to the arena, we can actually get to use the support. Uh, there, there is perks and benefits for doing that. Um, there's actually probably be some money involved this time, plus getting some stuff off the price table. Um, so without even shooting it, you get to see if it, you know, if it's something that, you know, the match are just like, I don't know what these guys are talking about, blah, 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 blah. You know, get down there. We, we can talk you through how to use the shot timer. It's pretty simple. You push a button, listen for a beep. Um, and then we can talk you through your spotting scope, which is you set spotting scope. You look at targets and when it, when it, the target gets hit, you say hit. Um, so it doesn't need to be any like high skills in that, but we can use the support and that, that gets you there to where you can kind of see me, some of the competitors, um, meet us, get to see other match runs, and then, then you can shoot it next time. Absolutely. That's, that's great. I'm glad you said that because I know there's a lot of people, uh, you know, at my local gun club that, you know, don't necessarily, you know, they, they always want to get involved in stuff, but they don't want to be the one dumbass that, you know, completely screws the pooch on a match. And then, you know, I oh, just wasted $175, but you know, it's a good way to get them in. Like I told you when I went to this last match, you know, it'd be awesome, you know, to see this and, you know, try and compete in it one day. Uh, it's a great match. Awesome. So you're going to stick around. You got to go. I'm going to go uh, get it's time to cook dinner and do, do all those sort of things. We're, we're an hour ahead of you. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, Ash, I greatly appreciate it, and I'll keep in touch with right. you, man. Yeah, appreciate you. Well, that was the interview with Ash Hess of Quantified Performance, and I want to greatly appreciate him coming on the show and give us an interview and kind of tell him a little bit about himself, a little about his history in the firearms industry, and also how he got into firearms, and also just talking about Quantified Performance, the company uh, that he's helped build and put on the matches that they do at the arena out there in Georgia. Uh, so if you haven't already, like uh, September 19th is the next uh, match that they have going out there. Y'all check it out. I, you know, it's fucking awesome. Like we talked about in the interview, if you feel like you're just not ready to do a match. He is looking for volunteers. Uh, so if you want to just kind of test it out and see whether it be your kind of cup of tea, you can go out there, you can volunteer, uh, you can see what it's about, and maybe for the next match, you can go out there and you can put some lead down range yourself. So let's go on and just go ahead and get into some uh, interesting news articles that's come out in the industry since the last podcast. Here's one little tidbit that I meant to actually say to Ash because this is kind of fucking cool that I uh, found out uh, in regards to optics, uh, something that was pretty interesting that I found out just you know scrolling through random stories and shit uh, and this is kind of optics related uh, that the actual crosshairs that are you know painstakingly etched on and painted and all that kind of stuff on your optics day did y'all motherfuckers know that that was originally the silk from a black widow female spider uh, and you say why a black widow is because that silk is actually many times stronger than the silk produced by other less venomous spiders and in fact the black widow spider produces a thread that is pound for pound a strong as Kevlar. Uh, many optics manufacturers employed one or more people whose sole job was the care and feeding of their captive widows. And as kind of like a fucking arachnophobe myself, that's kind of fucking creepy, but interesting enough that I just thought wanted to throw it out there. So, you know, fucking Jeopardy knowledge for y'all motherfuckers out there. Uh, first news article we're going to get into is actually from Amaland. Uh, this is going to be in reference if you don't know, uh, or if you remember back during the El Paso shooting, whenever the, uh, 
you know, the young Second Amendment activist showed up at the Walmart in uh, fucking, I believe it was a, it was Missouri. Uh, he showed up to Walmart with a fucking plate carrier and a uh, modern sporting rifle slung over the front of his chest. Well, he, you know, we all know that he got arrested, uh, but he actually accepted a plea deal. And this article came out the 4th of November, and it's titled, The Second Amendment Activist Who Open Carried at Missouri Walmart Accepts Plea. Uh, the article goes to state that the youthful Second Amendment supporter who made national headlines has reached a plea deal with Greene County Prosecutor Dimitri N. Andrechenko conducted his advocacy in a Missouri Walmart on the 8th of August 2019, less than a week after a mass murder in an El Paso, Texas Walmart on the 3rd of August. Now, we talked about this uh, after this originally happened. You know, I'm all for your Second Amendment uh, demonstrations, advocacy, and all that kind of stuff. But this was poor taste in this guy, and it was a little fucking stupid of him to do so, in my opinion, because what did he expect the outcome was going to be? I guarantee he wore that plate carrier because he thought his ass was going to get shot. Uh, so he's lucky he came out of this alive. But he is also lucky that all he got was, you know, this plea bargain because it's going to, you know, uh, take a, a politician, uh, a district attorney, is all he is is just a, a lawyer who's also a politician uh, that practices law as his political job, you know, to get some fucking brownie points to skewer this kid. But it goes on to say on August 14th, uh, the prosecutor was aiming for a plea bargain to charge of a terrorist threat in the third degree causing a false belief or fear. Uh, the actual article goes into states a quote from GreenCountyMissouri.gov that's GreenCountyMO.gov uh, it goes to state that uh, the fucking kid, uh, Dimitri, entered a plea, a guilty plea to an amended charge of a Class B misdemeanor making a false report in the amended charge the defendant is charged with knowingly causing a false report to be made to the Springfield Police Department on August 8, 2019 that an active shooter situation was about to occur at the Walmart neighborhood market on West Republic Road in Springfield, Missouri. Under the terms of the plea agreement, the defendant received a 180-day suspended jail sentence, two years of probation with special conditions requiring him to serve 48 hours of shock incarceration in the county jail, receive firearms training, and participate in a victim-offender dialogue, a restorative justice measure, and any community service established through the restorative of justice proceeding. Now, one witness uh, that actually called 911 that saw him show up at the Walmart was in this article, and it said that the one witness said she'd frequently seen people openly carrying firearms, but this seemed caught or this case seemed much different. She had her boyfriend call 911. Uh, the customer in the parking lot of the Walmart observed the defendant putting on his body armor and then sling hit the rifle across his front while recording. Based upon his actions and recent events, she feared for the people inside the Walmart and had her boyfriend call 911. She has never been. Uh, you know, somebody that, you know, is, she goes, she'd never been somebody against, you know, carrying firearms, but she just used precautionary measures. You know, the old adage, see something, say something. Uh, Prosecutor Dan Patterson of Greene County, Missouri, noted that in our community, that is not unusual to observe fellow citizens openly carrying firearms in a responsible manner as this is their right. This case is a reminder that anytime we choose to exercise a right, we have the responsibility to act in a manner that does not threaten the rights of other fellow citizens. The plea bargain accomplishes several things that benefits both parties. For Dimitri, it means he has no substantial financial penalties. He does not lose any constitutional rights. There was no mention of forfeiting his firearms or body armor should he get them, so she should get them back. And he may need them for the firearms training he's required to undergo as part of the plea deal. Uh, the 48-hour shock incarceration requirement most likely has already been met by his fin uh, initial confinement. and He will be on probation for two years, but he has never been in trouble with the law before, so it will probably not be a problem. Uh, you know, this kid is lucky that's all he got because, like I said, you know, if you... Um, 
you know, for example, like in the military and all that kind of stuff, hell, not even the military, just fucking common sense. If you sling a rifle in the front, you are prepared to use it. If you sling it on your back, if this kid wanted to do something, this is what a lot of open carriers at least do, is when they are openly carrying uh, long guns, they, you know, sling them across their back as to show that they are not a threat, they're not going to be used, all that kind of stuff. But this kid, you know, donned it on the front along with the plate carrier uh, less than a week into uh, after a mass shooting at a Walmart, uh, and that's where he decided to go with his little protest. Uh, not very smart, you know, the kid, uh, you know, he's very young, 21 years old, not very good judgment in my opinion. Uh, I hope he does continue to go on and be a Second Amendment advocate and goes on to express his, uh, I guess, his experience in the legal system uh, in regards to this, and maybe he can give some foresight for future Second Amendment uh, advocacy in regards to, you know, protesting openly with firearms and all that kind of good mess. The next article actually comes from Newsweek, and yes, pardon, this is actually two articles from Newsweek this week. Uh, more than 32,000 prohibited guns turned in as New Zealand by buyback deadline approaches and this was published on uh, I believe it was the 6th yeah the 6th of November uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Stuart Nash announced this week that there was more than 32,000 prohibited weapons that have been turned into the government since the collection now there are some estimates of New Zealand saying that there's 175,000 so this would be a compliance up to 18% so far in six weeks 16 weeks into the buy, uh, buyback program if the continued uh, steady pace of gun buybacks uh, or you know, go in. Uh, they should end up around 29%, which is on the low end. Uh, but you know, the, in this article, the New Zealand Prime Minister is quoted as saying, "Owning a firearm is a privilege and not a right." And you know, in the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution, Bill of Rights are considered God-given rights and not rights given by the government. So uh, even though the Second Amendment is our constitutional legal right, uh, the United States sees those as God-given rights. Obviously, the New Zealand Constitution is a little different than the United States. Constitution and every Second Amendment lover in this great country. And, you know, giving a shout out because this is an international show. Uh, we have visitors from, uh, you know, listening to the show from Germany, Australia, United Kingdom, and France. Uh, so we have, you know, listeners to the podcast from all over the world uh, and also listeners from, you know, what I call less free states. You know, the biggest, uh, you know, biggest is New York, Illinois, and California, and Texas. Uh, so I want to greatly appreciate to everybody out there. But, you know, it is not a God-given right protected by the government all across the country. Uh, so I find it very interesting that she says that. Uh, the government has established a fund worth of New Zealand currency, $20 million, to repurchase newly banned firearms at 25 to 95% of the uh, price of a new weapon, depending on each firearm's condition. That's something else that's fucked up because, you know, New Zealand is trying to take away your firearms and they're not even willing to, you know, compensate you, uh, you know, to what they consider. They're, they're willing only to compensate what they consider is the value of the firearm, which is pretty fucked up because it's the government. The government's going to kind of try and screw you every chance they get. You know, just fucking look at taxes. Uh, and the fucking uh, article continues to says that when the Nagalus programs have been proposed in the United States, uh, results have been far less encouraging. New York passed the Landmark Safe Act in 2013, which required gun owners to register assault weapons as part of the state's newly expanded definition of those types of military assault rifles. Uh, one estimate put the registration uh, rate at around 4%. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, uh, you know, you have, you're looking around 
so far currently 18% of New Zealand farms have been turned into the government there. They're guessing it's going to be around 30% when it's all said and done. Uh, but you know, if you look at New York and again, shout out to New York because we have a large listening audience in New York. Uh, this is, you know, something that, you know, a lot of gun control advocates are looking at New Zealand and seeing how they're going to do with their mandatory gun buybacks and enforcing their gun control laws now uh, to see how that's going to work out in the United States. And that's kind of fucking scary because, you know, if they have a success there because they always constantly use Australia and United Kingdom uh, as role models for their gun control, uh, you know, fucking high in the pie sky type fucking dreams. Uh, so if New Zealand is successful, it's just going to be more encouragement to the gun control, uh, you know, liberals here in the United States. And I, if anybody ever listens to this New Zealand, if you have friends in New Zealand, uh, you know, just fucking reach out to them and tell them to continue to stay strong, uh, resist in any way, shape or form they can, uh, you know, as pe- peacefully as they can, because we don't want no lives lost over this. Uh, because I'm not, of course, you know, I got us the legal disclaimer. I'm not advocating any kind of violence, but, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we are resistant in any way possible. The next article actually comes, uh, from Gat Daily, and this was published on the 5th of November. And many people have already talked about this, but I'm gonna kind of expand on this a little bit because this is pretty interesting to me because of the whole history of it. Uh, it says breaking ambush in Mexico kills at least nine American, six children, at least nine U S citizens, including six children were killed in a massacre in the Mexican border state of Sonora. The victims were descendants of a Mormon settler group with family in Utah. The act, the act, the attack has been described as a motorcade ambush by relatives of the survivors. The victims were identified. I'm not going to go into their names, uh, but basically the highest or the oldest individual, uh, is 43 and the youngest was a set of eight month old twins, a 13 year old, uh, escaped uninjured and then walked for about 14 miles to Lamora for help after hiding his wounded siblings in bushes and covering them with branches. That's fucking incredible in my mind. Reports are still listing one child, at least still being missing. President Trump has indicated his full readiness to assist the Mexican president in bringing down the cartels by force. Now, of course, Mexico is not uh, accepting any sort of help at the moment, but you know, a lot of people think as terrorism as you know, possibly the greatest uh, threat to the United States. Uh, right now, I currently think it's the cartels because the cartels are boarding our country. Uh, they are right there. They're just literally a hop away from the United States, and they are constantly getting over uh, the border and bringing violence all throughout the southern border of the United States. And if you looked at the Sonoran cartel, you know, that re- released El Chapo's son, uh, you know, was it, I think three weeks ago now, uh, that is, you know, fucking, they are heavily armed. And then not only that, a lot of these uh, cartel enforcers and soldiers are former Mexican military and Mexican special forces. So they have the training. Uh, so it's very fucking scary. And then something that's interesting that a lot of people don't realize, uh, I read and heard about this, uh, I think this might've been two or three months ago. And the Mormons down there in the Sonoran cartel are actually very interesting in the fact that they are leading the fight in Mexico right now uh, against the cartels, the Mormon compound down there. And then these Mormons, I will say there are the FLDS kind, which is the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints church. So they believe in polygamy, probably marrying off child brights, possibly that's why they're hiding out in Mexico. Uh, but they are leading the fight in Mexico against the Sonoran cartels. And basically the cartels are probably doing this hit and run tactic shit on them because they can't hit their compound. They are heavily armed, uh, you know, and that's probably why they were hit, you know, doing the, during this convoy, because it was, you know, is the way I've been described listening to several news agencies is that they 
had uh, two huge passenger vans, possibly three, uh, and that they were driving down the road, and it was mainly just the children and the wives going to buy some shit in the local cart- uh, the local Mexican town there in Sonora, away from their compound, because obviously they can't have everything there, so they're going to a local town to buy some shit, and that's when they were attacked. And even though Mexico is actually in their constitution, guarantees the right to ownership of firearms, you know, they are heavily restricted on their gun control, so you can't really walk around with a gun in Mexico. Uh, so they are unarmed going to the town, unable to defend themselves. And that's when the cartel decided to attack them. And actually a lot of people in Mexico are looking to these Mormons in Mexico as possible ways to have safe zones in Mexico to fight back the cartel because Mormons are actually doing a great job. So probably these Mormons were specifically targeted by the cartel because they are part of that compound that is doing an amazing job at fighting back the cartels and keeping them away from their Mormon compound down there in Mexico. And if you want some more information about that, I highly encourage you to Google it. It's a very interesting story. Uh, But let's go on and get into the next news story. This one also is is very encouraging, uh, at least to me. Uh, Not also, but this one is very encouraging. Uh, But this was posted on the Firearm blog, and this was posted on the 8th of November. The Czech Senate uh, is to introduce a constitutional amendment that adds the right to carry and use weapons for self-defense. Now, this is great because uh, I believe I covered on the last episode or I shared it on one of my social media pages but you know Sweden is a very uh, heavily armed country and not Sweden but Switzerland uh, they were a very heavily armed country and they are in the European Union but to remain in the European Union they had to pass some gun control legislation to be able to enjoy all the benefits of their union uh, European Union membership so it's very disappointing in Europe that to be a part of this you know great economic boom uh, that they have with the European Union you have to enact gun control to help you know to help stay in there but the the very uh fucking cost of your own citizenry of having less freedom and but not being able to defend themselves using firearms the czech uh you know government is sort of reversing that but anyway uh this goes on to say the new amendment would add the use of uh make the use of legally possessed firearms uh that is already existing right to the defense of life uh, the news article goes on to continue that while this isn't a strictly shall not be a fringe type of thing, it is more of a declaration that still explicitly says that the right is subject to legal interpretation. Loosely translated, it goes the right to protect one's own or someone else's life, uh, also even with a firearm, is guaranteed under the conditions determined by law. Uh, you know, so this is very encouraging to see that the Czech is, you know, obviously going against what the European Union is forcing other countries to do. This is a blatant opposition to other European countries, as I was talking about Switzerland earlier, that are seeking to further restrict firearm ownership and use. And it is interesting to see since the Czech government is in the European Union, hopefully this means that the European Union countries like the Czech Republic will start to reject the massive outreach of the European Union regarding firearms ownership. And with the revision of the directive, which is like the social or the, you know, the government contract uh, of the European Union in 2020, uh, hopefully uh, they can try and push back because the European Commission has made it very clear that they will be pushing for further and stricter regulation. You know, that's very interesting to see how that's going to work. And hopefully some of our European uh, brothers and sisters that are firearms enthusiasts will not be able to, uh, you know, will not lose further rights uh, with this new directive coming up for the European Union. Uh, This is something that's interesting. I thought, and this goes to show that you don't have to have gun control to keep the hands out of the mentally ill. Uh, You just got to have people that give a damn and that have good common sense. Uh, This actually comes from Air Force Times. Uh, This is published on the 7th. Uh, It goes to state that the Texas shooter's widow says first retailer refused to sell former airman 
the gun. Now we all know about this. Uh, this happened, you know, a year or two ago, where a former airman that was dishonorably discharged, who was not, should not have been allowed to even have a firearm, uh, but was able to purchase one because the military did not give the proper documents to Nix, uh, and therefore flag him as a prohibited person. Uh, the widow of the man suspected of killing more than two dozen worshippers in a South Texas church says one sporting goods retailer refused to sell him the gun before he bought it from another. Danielle Kelly said in April 5th affidavit that in December 2015, she and her husband Dave, I'm not even going to say this prick's name, went to Dick's Sporting Goods in New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, that day, Devin went to the gun counter to purchase a Ruger assault rifle uh, that he had wanted for some time, uh, but the manager came over and denied him the sale. So to me, that goes to show that we as gun owners can be responsible enough to protect our rights and do it without you know having any further gun control added. Uh, and that's something that's very important. I think this is something that needs to be highlighted. Fuck, it needs to be shouted from the rooftops because this is very important to show that you can be the deciding factor. You don't have to just stop the threat with a gun, but you can stop the threat by if you sell a gun privately through arms list or whatever. If something's not right about the guy or the, the, the person, the gal, whatever they may be, don't sell the gun. You know, if you feel kind of off about it, you can say, hey man, you know, I really want to sell you this, but you know, I just want to make sure I'm okay. Would you mind going down to you know, the local sheriff's office or police department. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a requirement, but I just want to make sure that I'm safe because you don't want yourself to, you don't want to be that motherfucker that sells the next mass shooter, the mass killer, uh, that firearm because they are a prohibited person uh, and whatnot and they can't go to a normal store to buy it. So just fucking use your noggin, you know, use your, trust your fucking gut, uh, you know, use your noggin, you know, don't be the reason why the next attack on the second amendment happens. This next article comes from again, Newsweek. This is the other article. Uh, and this is in reference to the Second Amendment uh, rally that occurred at D.C. a couple weeks ago. I definitely want to you know, cover this because it is very important. I was not able to make it because uh, I had, you know, some some you know problems uh, arranging child care with my two kids. You know, I'm a single dad, all that crazy shit I've talked about before. But uh, one reporter estimated that by 1 p.m. over a thousand people have turned out uh, and talk, you know, listening to other people uh, that have gone to it, they estimated to be around between a thousand and fifteen hundred pretty good showing, uh, you know, for not being backed uh, by any major organization. You know, this wasn't put on by the NRA. This wasn't put on by NSSF. Uh, this was just put on, uh, you know, by this group uh, called the Second Amendment uh, Rally, I think it's called. Uh, but the event entitled Rally for Your Rights was organized largely by gun rights enthusiasts without the backing of major pro-gun organizations, what I just talked about. Uh, you know, fucking uh, goes on to talk about some of the speakers. Uh, talks, you know, some my boys over there at Save the Second, uh, they had their podcast earlier today. Good podcast, good organization. Go check them out. Uh, you know, Rob Pincus, who is uh, on the board of directors for the Save the Second, talks about how the NRA, uh, and also, uh, you know, they mentioned Tim Knight. They go to talk about how the NRA has been, you know, had the inability to conduct oversight for their uh, group's finances uh, due to alleged obstruction. Uh, and then Rob Pincus goes to say what has sunk in over the past few months is that too far too many people are willing to write a check and say, okay, I've done my part and then move on. Uh, if you own a gun, you are the gun lobby. And I completely agree agree with that with Rob said uh, this is a you know every person's fight if you you know even if it's not the NRA because most people aren't joining the NRA nowadays but if you own a firearm you just can't you know 
write a check to the FPC or the GOA or the Second Amendment Foundation uh, or anything like that. You need to call your elected officials, uh, state level and national level, because the state is really where our battle is being lost at the moment. Uh, you need to let them know that if they want to continue to have their jobs, they need to vote for pro-gun legislation and vote against gun control legislation and then to be vocal about it. So that way they can have their friends that are in the legislature with them to say, hey, I'm voting this way. You need to vote this way too. This is why. It, it's very important and it's something that I think everybody needs to get off their ass and do. Now, this next article, uh, and this is going to be the last news article for the main segment, and this is something that's very near and dear to my heart uh, just because of my past, and I kind of talked about it on my social media page, but I want to bring this up in the podcast just in case if you listen to the podcast and you don't follow our social media, you can understand this too. Uh, this comes from uh, Washington Examiner, and this was published on the 2nd of November, uh, and the fucking title of it is Texas Gun Control Activist Shoots Her Three Children Dead. Uh, it goes on to say, a mother in Texas was found dead alongside her three children on Friday and an apparent triple murder suicide. I'm not going to name this lady's name because she's a worthless piece of shit for killing her children, uh, but she was known to have been battling depression and anxiety in addition to physical ailments such as arthritis and lupus at the time of her death. Uh, her three children, there were 11, 9, and 7, uh, were killed by gunshots and their mother is the only suspect. Uh, she had just finalized a contentious divorce from their father. Uh, this woman was a vocal advocate for stricter gun control in the United States with multiple social media postings calling for an end to gun violence and Facebook Facebook profile pictures that bore the hashtags hashtag enough and hashtag and gun violence. Uh, now this is something that I want to talk about just because uh, be honest with you, uh, you know, I like I've said I'm a divor- uh, single dad. Uh, I've been divorced. I got custody of my kids. I went through a divorce battle that lasted a year and a half uh, and honestly uh, she is the reason why I started this podcast. Uh, it was such an ugly divorce and this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, you know, give my unique perspective uh, on something I love and that's what's firearms. Uh, and after I got to a certain point where I won a lot of battles and in the divorce and, you know, I was like, you know, hell, if I can get through this, I can do fucking anything I want and I just got to work through it. And just like I've been working through the divorce and all that kind of shit. And this is what I need to do to make sure that I, you know, can achieve my goals. Uh, and that's why I started this 2A lifestyle. That's why I started my social media. That's when I started my podcast because uh, I was past that point to where I seriously... Uh, achieved some some great things in the divorce and I was like you know what this is gonna be awesome and not only that I did it because I wanted you know my kids to see this is something you know my dad wanted to do he went for it he you know started his dreams and my dad did the exact same thing uh, he started several businesses um, you know failed at all of them unfortunately but you know it goes to show to me that hey um, you know you can do what you want to do and just keep trying uh, and that's something this kind of I think turns into uh, father's rights uh, because you know I don't know there there wasn't too much detail in the divorce about it, but the divorce, she didn't get everything she wanted. Uh, so she went and uh, ended the life of her three kids and herself because of it. Uh, she obviously was very mentally unstable. And, you know, what's insane is that she was a gun control advocate, but she ended up being the gun violence statistic, uh, you know, adding three murders to that statistic uh, and a suicide, uh, which is going to count as a homicide, uh, but it is a suicide in the FBI statistics. Thank <laughs> you.
But it's just very sad that the court system uh, in Texas, where this is, you know, at, did not see that her mental health problems, uh, that they did not try and do something for her to get her to get the help that she needed and to keep those children safe. Uh, it's very, very tragic. Um, it, it's something that, you know, happens all across the United States where, uh, you know, and especially in my case where I had to fight to prove uh, that, you know, my ex-wife wasn't a very good uh, mother. And obviously this woman with her mental health issues, uh, you know, wasn't a very good mother, uh, that the children need to be protected from them. Uh, and unfortunately, the court system didn't see it that way. And that's when, uh, you know, it ended up resulted in the death of those three children and, and herself as well. And, you know, it, it can go into many things. It can go into red flags as well, because, you know, red flags is grab the guns, due process later. But obviously the court system is not perfect. Uh, I think it's the best system in the world that we have at the moment until some sort of mind reading fucking thing happens. Uh, but it is not perfect. And because of that, uh, you know, things like this can fall through the cracks. So if red flag laws are passed, uh, then you can have people that really don't have any sort of problems. Uh, they can end up losing their constitutional rights because the court system let some shit fall through the crack. Uh, and that's just fucking tragic. And it's something uh, that I wanted to bring up, you know, on this just because this story impacted me very personally. Uh, it's something that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and if you have any sort of issue, because I'm going to let you know that going through divorce is a very big strain on your mental health. Uh, if you are going through divorce right now, uh, and especially if you have kids involved, uh, it is a very hard time for you. I know that. And I just want to personally invite you myself to reach out to me on my social media. Uh, I have my social media, you know, messages and direct messages from Instagram and Facebook directly attached to my, my uh, phone. So anytime I get a message, uh, you know, I normally answer within about 30 minutes to an hour. So if you're having any sort of issues yourself, uh, especially when it comes to divorce, because I definitely can, you know, relate to you with what you're going through, reach out to me on social media. Uh, and, you know, I'll definitely talk to you, uh, definitely tell you about uh, what I did that helped me. Uh, because like I said, it was a year and a half for me, uh, you know, end up almost losing my uh, rights because of all the accusations he was thrown out against me. Uh, and it was insanity. And I had to defend myself in court and ultimately it was proved that she was lying the whole time. Uh, so it, it's something that's very near and dear to me. Uh, this is a tragic story. Uh, you know, I'm very, my heart goes out to that father because not only did his marriage, which, you know, at one point in time, he did love her, uh, fall through, but now he's got to bury his three kids, uh, who's never had the opportunity themselves, uh, to enjoy life. So oh, fucking depressing, uh, absolutely fucking depressing. So I want to kind of get off the soapbox there. Uh, let's go ahead and start getting into the gun gears, uh, news and reviews and the culture segment. Let's start wrapping this guy, uh, wrapping this bitch up. Thanks guys. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the Gun Gears News and Reviews. Don't have a whole lot to say just because this has already been a very long episode. I don't want to drag on too much. Uh, but the, the two products we're going to be talking about, something that I think is pretty fucking cool, 
Uh, Henry introduces two new slide side gate lever action uh, fucking rifles. Uh, the two new side gate lever action revolvers they have introduced are in 45-70 and 410 uh, shotgun, obviously. Uh, and it's pretty, it's really cool. Uh, you know, I'm kind of nostalgic about lever guns. Uh, the first rifle I actually ever shot was a lever gun. Uh, you know, old 30-30 for deer hunting when I was a kid. So I'm kind of nostalgic for for lever guns, and also just being a humongous history nerd like I am. Uh, you know, in the Wild West, you know, lever guns are synonymous with that kind of shit out there. So I love you know a good lever gun, the aesthetics of it, all that kind of shit. Henry comes out with some really you know aesthetically pleasing products. Um, so. Uh, something that I just wanted to kind of introduce it to y'all. I'm waiting for them to fucking introduce uh, the 357 and 38 uh, special side gate lo- uh, lever gun, which they have not yet. Uh, but these rifles do get a little bit pricey. The MSRP on them is $1,045. Uh, but you know, if you are in a state where you can only use straight wall cartridges to hunt. Uh, you know, this is definitely a good option for you, especially, uh, or if you do uh, cowboy action shooting, that kind of stuff. Uh, definitely a good uh, fucking you know, option for you. The next thing I want to talk about uh, is from Deadfoot Arms, Gen 2 MCS folding stock adapter. They came out with a uh, Gen 2 of this bad little puppy here. Now, this is kind of in competition with the Lock Tactical we were kind of talking about uh, Ash Hess with, uh, which was a sponsor of theirs, and they gave some goodies away for their prize table. Uh, retaining the same fire when folded capability, the Gen 2 MCS adapter uh, is actually 1.3 ounces lighter than the first gen uh, and the folding angle is identical to the gen 1 so it clears the injection port as well as allows access to the forward assist however the gen 2 features a stronger lockup mechanism and folds the stock closer to the receiver uh, the gen 2 hinging part is also compatible with gen 1 buffer tubes so if you have a gen 1 you don't have to buy the whole fucking kit for it because these kits are pretty goddamn expensive they are shipped with stock mounting tube which is compatible with standard AR-15 stocks the proprietor BCG, the bulk carrier group, along with dual spring bufferless recoil spring systems are also included in the package. Uh, the BCG has a black nitrated finished surface uh, treatment and a 9310 steel bolt is magnetic particle inspected. Uh, so if you want to use your own BCG, you can, but you actually have to send it to Deadfoot Arms and have it modified with their bolt carrier modification program. Now, I did say these bitches are a little expensive. Uh, the MSRP on them, uh, you're looking at for the Gen 2 is 465 but what's also really cool is they also have an adapter for 9mm AR PCCs, which is a little bit more expensive. They're $495, uh, but you can get them on... Uh, you know, around discount around forty-five dollars, so you can actually get the uh, regular AR-15 one for about four twenty. Pretty cool shit. I do like the angle that looks a little bit stockier and buffier than the Loft Tactical, uh, but for you know almost like a two hundred dollar price difference, and many people using Loft Tactical, uh, you know. If, if you're wanting to build something Gucci, that's definitely an option for you. Uh, but if you're just looking for everyday use, uh, you know, uh, Lock Tacticals is also a really good brand. Well, that's going to be our gun and gear chat. Let's go ahead and start getting into our cult- culture segment. And because it's Veterans Day, we got a one of my favorite fucking uh, military movies uh, out there.
All right, ladies and gents, in the culture segment, because it is the Veterans Day episode, we're going to be talking about Jarhead. Now, this is pretty, I like this movie because to me, this fucking surmised my whole time in the military, even though this is about the first Gulf uh, War, uh, you know, fucking my experience in the military was just a whole lot of fucking training, expect, you know, fucking shit, and then nothing happens. You're just sitting there, you know, jerking each other off like the whole fucking time. Uh, It was very mind numbing for me. Uh, but some of the cool guns you see in this movie is what you expect. Uh, you have the Remington M40A1, uh, which is going to be the sniper rifle, uh, long range rifle that you see Jake Gyllenhaal use. Uh, you also have the M16A2, which is the fucking you know common uh, M16 variant that they used in the military at that time. Uh, you also have the M16A1, uh, which you see actually just in the movie Platoon that's being shown in there. Uh, you have the M4A1, uh, which is uh, what the mass, uh, Master Sergeant in the you know movie used. You have the M16A4, uh, which is also just used. You just see it in a movie. Uh, of course, our source is imfdb.org. Great fucking source. Uh, that's why I really like it. Uh, you have the, the Barrett M82A1. Uh, you also have uh, the Norinco Type 56, which is just in the movie. Uh, you have the FMN, you have the FNM249 Saw, uh, which is a awesome, pretty fun fucking cool gun. Uh, you have the M60E3, uh, which is used in you know, the invasion. You have the M60D, uh, which is mounted to the helicopter in the movie. You have the Browning M2HB, which is mounted to the Abrams tanks that you see in the movie, also as well as mounted to the Humvees. Uh, and then you end up seeing the GEM-134 minigun. Of course, this is just in the movie uh, when they're watching uh, Apocalypse Now. Uh, of course, being you know, the military during the 90s, you had the Beretta M92, uh, the M9, 92 FS. Uh, you also had uh, Cobra CM or Cobra. I'm sorry, CM203 launcher. Uh, un, you know, attached under many of the M16s that they have there. Uh, and then you also had just the regular M203 grenade launcher uh, attached under the M16s there. Uh, you know, they also show some claymores, which are fun little toys. Uh, the M16 M67 hand grenade uh, that they do during training. Uh, and then you have the M136 AT4 uh, as well as the MK19. Uh, pretty cool movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, I highly suggest that you go check it out for Veterans Day uh, because that is, you know, very synonymous with a whole generation of, you know, military veterans that we have. Uh, You had a lot of military veterans that were deployed, that weren't deployed, all that kind of shit. Uh, You know, it's very synonymous with a lot of people's experience in the military. So uh, check it out. Uh, If you are sensitive, which you probably aren't since you listen to this podcast and I do cuss the fucking lot, uh, you know, there is some situations in there that is pretty fucked up. But, you know, if you have a sixth sense of humor, you'll find this shit funny. But anyway, let's go ahead and start wrapping this bitch up and start closing it out. All right, guys, I want to greatly appreciate you listening to the podcast again. Again, this was an amazing podcast. I really enjoyed my interview with Ash Hess of Quantified Performance LLC. Uh, It was a great interview. Uh, again, uh, sorry for the length of the podcast, but uh, you know it was a good conversation with Ash. Ash Hess also had a great bit of stories that I wanted to cover, and hell, there's even some that I didn't cover. I have about three or four stories that I did not cover, uh, but this podcast is going to end up being close to two hours, which is the longest fucking podcast.
podcast we ever had, uh, which ends up showing it was a great interview with Ash. Uh, fucking loved it. I can't wait until the next uh, the next shoot out there at the arena in there in Georgia uh, coming up in February. So if you guys haven't already, like I said, please hit the subscribe button uh, to wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you can't leave us a review, it is the best way for other people to find gun-related and firearms podcasts. If you haven't already, check out our social media on Facebook. We are two the number two, A, Lifestyle. And on Instagram, we are two spelled out, T-W-O-A, Lifestyle.com, or two, A, Lifestyle, uh, on Instagram. Also, we have a Patreon. If you feel like, you know, fucking getting froggy and you want to support us, go ahead and drop us a dollar, you know. Drop us $5, drop us $10, whatever the fuck you want to do. Uh, it's going to help the podcast. It's going to help us grow. It's going to help us get better, and it's going to help give you all better content as long as better shit and giveaways. So go ahead and check us out on Patreon at the 2A Lifestyle Podcast. Also, if you want us to do anything, if you have somebody that you want to hear on the podcast, if you have uh, some critiques on what you think that we're doing good or what you want us to do more of, uh, go ahead and reach out to us. You know, we're starting to get some more people interviewed. Uh, I'm trying to reach out to some more people for interviews. Uh, so if you have somebody that you want to hear on the podcast, reach out to us on social media. Also, if you have any products that you want us uh, to review, uh, reach out to us on social media and let us know what you want us to, to review and, and look into. If you want us to have a sponsor and you own a business, why don't you go ahead and reach out to us on social media too and we'll see about you sponsoring the show. Uh, and if you have any businesses that you want, like to see us you know, get sponsored by, reach out to us and we will be happy to reach out to them and say, hey, our listeners are wanting uh, y'all on the the podcast. They want to hear about you. Uh, you know, they're interested in seeing us doing a partnership, all that kind of good shit. And we will see what we can get in the works. But until then, I want y'all to continue to be a great example for this 2A community that we have and then continue to enjoy that 2A lifestyle. And I will see y'all in two weeks. So I've been sitting alone